Well, welcome. It is time for uh, kids to be miss- dismissed to uh, Kid Zone or three and four year olds. If you have not been, if they've not been taken into the nursery, you can take them back now. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter 2, we're picking up where we left off. Last week, we looked at the beautiful passage, the hymn to Christ, the the Christ hymn of verses 5 through 11. And so today, uh, we're going to pick up where we left off, and we're going to see the response to that. Because of the truth that we saw last week about Jesus, who he is, and what he's done for us, uh, we see today how we should Respond. how that should impact our lives. And so I'm going to read the text from us and then pray for us as we get ready to, to hear the truth of God's word. Philippians 2, starting in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who's at work in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you will shine like stars in the world. By holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We confess it as true as we do each week, and we ask for your help to understand it and help to respond to it. So Holy Spirit, work in our hearts, work in our minds, help us believe the truth that is here, and help us respond obediently to how you would call us to live because of this. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I've titled my sermon, Living a Life of Obedience. Uh, this is the kind of main idea of this text, connected to the uh, the hymn to Christ that we looked at last week. Uh, what our lives should look like in response to Jesus. And so, as we consider our Savior, as we consider what Jesus has done for us, and the position that He is in, then that should impact our lives. That should change the way that we live. And so Paul uses this section after that beautiful passage last week to call the Philippians to a life of obedience to God. So I want us to look first at verse 12, and this is where we're going to see the the initial call to obedience. So Philippians 2, verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends... Just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
the call to obedience. Work out your salvation. Now, it's important that we understand some things about this text because it's a text that gets uh, distorted. It's a text that gets misunderstood. And so I want us to look at several details just of this verse alone as we get ready to consider what it is that God is calling us to. So first, we need to see that this is in response to Jesus. As we are called to obedience to God... This is in response to Christ and what he has done for us. And so the very first word here in Philippians 2 verse 12 points us to that. It says, therefore. So what Paul is writing them about, the instruction that he is about to give them is directly connected to what he had previously said. And so when he says, therefore, he's saying, because of the truth that you've been given, which is the hymn to Christ... Uh, that told us all that Christ, what he did for us uh, and the position that he's in. Paul is saying, because that is true, then this is how you need to respond. This is how you need to, to live. And so he's calling them to a life of obedience. Now, the wording that gets people uh, confused often with what this is talking about is where it says, work out your salvation, That's the call to a life of obedience. Work out your own salvation. And it is important that we understand he is not saying work for your salvation. Those are two very different things. He's not talking about a works-based salvation where you have to perform at a certain level in order to be saved. Right? Uh, Paul is speaking to believers. He calls them My dear friends or beloved, that word is only used in the New Testament. That word is only used in Scripture as meaning people who are already children of God. So these people are already saved. So the instruction for work out your salvation is not saying you need to work hard enough so that you'll be saved. And it's not saying you need to work in order to keep your salvation. Okay? So... Those are different things. Paul says in in Galatians that if righteousness were possible, if it was possible to be declared righteous by following the law, then Christ died for no reason. And that's not true. Uh, And so Paul used that as his argument. Say, we can't do it. We can't earn our salvation. It is entirely up to what God has accomplished. And so... I've heard it uh, described this way, and I found this helpful. Like, we don't need to view salvation as Jesus. Like, we're down at the bottom of a pit, and Jesus climbs halfway down and says, Okay, now if you can get up the rest of the way, I'm going to save you. Right? That's not how salvation works. Christ came all the way to the depths of the pit where we were and drug our lifeless body out of it. So salvation is God's work. So when we're told to work out your salvation, he's not saying work for it. The word for salvation here is talking about our sanctification. Sanctification is where we are growing in holiness. We're growing in obedience to God. We're growing in Christ-likeness. Whereas God's working in us, we start to look more and more like Jesus every day as we submit to the work of the Spirit in our life. And so sanctification, as we have trusted in Jesus and we are believers, we are God's children, 
God is working to change us into the image of Jesus. And so that's what we're working out. That's what the instruction is. Work out your own salvation is is working in a way to submit to what God is doing and what God has already done for us through Christ Jesus. So we pursue holiness. We pursue obedience to God because of Jesus. Let's look at what Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4 speaks like this also. Paul says, 4 verse 1 through the first part of 3, Additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that if you have received... I'm sorry, I lost my place. That you have, as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God, as you're doing, do this even more. For you know... The commands that we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is God's will, your sanctification. So Paul says, look, growing in obedience, we've given you instruction of how you should live, of what your life should look like in response to Jesus, and you're doing that, but we want you to keep on growing in obedience to God. And that's what God desires for you, your sanctification. He desires for you to continue to look more and more like Jesus every day as we pursue this, growing in Christ-likeness. And the last thing I want to point out from verse 12, just a helpful reminder. Uh, It says we're supposed to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and it's important we don't think of God in terms of uh, like he's looking down on us, getting ready to smack us if we step out of line. Uh, it's not talking about that kind of fear. Uh, if you've had an authoritarian type harsh parent uh, in your life, you might tend to think of God that way. You know, if you had the parent that if you stepped out of line, you were going to feel their wrath for it. And sometimes we might apply that to God and think of our loving Father that way that, man, I, if I mess this up, he's going to get me. And that's not how God thinks of us. His disposition towards us is not that he's ready to smack us when we step out of line. Yes, there are consequences for sin, but he's not looking down on us just thinking, I'm, I'm going to get them if they do it again. I'm going to... Uh, make sure they feel it. That's not how God thinks of us. So the the wording here about fear and trembling is really talking about a reverential, just reverence and awe for who God is, recognizing that He's perfectly holy and I'm the complete opposite. And that should produce in us a a fear and an awe of the difference between us, and that He still loves us, and that He has cared for us. So not fear like He's going to get us, but fear of reverence and awe of Him before Him. So let's look at verse um, 13. This is an important understanding. When we look at verse 12 and the call to obedience and the... um, the understanding that we're supposed to work out our salvation, you cannot separate that verse from what Paul instructs us here because this is vital for that to happen in our lives. Philippians 2, verse 13, For it is God who's working in you, both to will and to work according to His good purpose. 
So we've been called to a life of obedience. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then what a comfort, right? Because honestly, if, I'm, if I really take an honest look at what God's word calls me to, and I think of it in terms of, all right, can I do this? I'm going to fall short, right? We are going to miss the mark. And so what a comfort for us to see this word. Hey, work out your salvation because God's working in you. God is working to produce in you the obedience that he desires. He is working to give you a will to want to actually follow him. Because of Jesus, we can actually have the desire to obey God. And he's working in us to, tr- to use us for his glory, to bring about his good purposes in this world. And so we have to, as we think of sanctification, we have to understand it in terms of what God is doing. Yes, we're called to a life of obedience, but the only way that we can be obedient is because our loving Father is working in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. I need that encouragement because when I'm honest with myself and know I'm never going to make the mark, I'm never going to perform like I'm supposed to, I need to remember God's at work. God is working in me. He is changing me. Right. So think of it. Think of the verse we saw my first sermon from Philippians. We saw this promise that ties to the one that we just looked at. Philippians one, verse six. I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What wonderful promises for us is we're called to obey God and we realize I'm not going to be able to do this on my own. We have the promise that we aren't on our own. The Spirit of God lives in us if we are believers and God is working in us to cause us to desire a life of obedience. What good news for us that God is producing in us what he desires. So the question then comes, should come to our mind, well then what does this look like? What does sanctification look like? What does growing in obedience to God, what should that look like in my life? And that's where Paul takes us next in these next verses, uh, verses 14 through 18. He's going to say, here's kind of what sanctification, here's some of the ways that this should play out in your life. And so we're going to look at four different things. The first one is this. As we're thinking about the life of obedience and our call to that, the life of obedience is free of grumbling and arguing. The life of obedience is free of grumbling and arguing. Let's look at verse 14. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. The word for grumbling there is kind of this like mumbling, complaining spirit just about the circumstances, complaining about everything, grumbling about what's going on in your life, grumbling about the call to obedience that you don't want to obey, grumbling about things that are happening in your relationship with your spouse or things that are going on with your kids, grumbling and mumbling, just, man, I can't believe that this is the way things are. 
And then arguing is talking about the word there is really like disputing with this um, kind of questioning everything that is done with this critical tone. Why would he do it like that? Why did she say this? Why are they, why would they prefer this instead of what I would prefer? And so it's this like arguing with one another of, I, I don't trust anything that you're doing. I don't trust what's, what, your, what your motives are. I don't, I don't trust why you would do that instead of doing what I would want. That's our, that's our world, grumbling and arguing. We, that's what we see every day played out in our lives. And that's what we're tempted towards. And Paul says, believer, there's no place for that in your life. Put away this grumbling, complaining spirit about your circumstances, about what you're called to. Put away this argumentative tone. Put it out of your life. And he doesn't say, hey, dial it back a little bit, right? Hey, just don't argue as much. Don't complain as much. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. There should be nothing in our lives that has this complaining, argumentative tone about us. So for us, church, we have to put away grumbling and arguing. And the only way that we can do that is replace it with something better, with something that is appropriate for a believer. So this week, let's work on putting away grumbling and arguing and replacing it with joy-filled praise for who God is and what he's done for us. Right? If we just say, well, I'll try not to grumble as much, I'll try not to complain as much or argue as much, but we don't replace it with anything, those things are going to just creep right back in because that feels natural to us. And so let's replace that with praise of God. God, look at what you've done for me through Jesus Christ. Thank you for caring for me. Thank you for your love. And just praise God because those things are real for us. Put away grumbling and arguing and replace it with joy-filled praise. The second thing we see about the life of obedience is this. The life of obedience is countercultural. The life of obedience is countercultural. Let's look at verse 15. So that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you will shine like stars in the world. The life of obedience is countercultural. It looks different than the rest of the world. So we're instructed to live in a way that is different than the rest of the world. That when the rest of the world sees us, we stand out. Now, blameless here does not mean perfect. Right? We, we, it's not talking about sinless. Uh, just that we would, when the, when the lost world looks at us, they would recognize that there's something different in how we live and what we put our hope in and what we confess. Things are different. And so as we pursue a life of obedience, then God's Word says this is going to cause you to stand out. The world won't understand that. Jesus spoke this way about how you will stand out, right? He said, let your light uh, shine before others, right? He said, you're the light of the world. 
And you're like a, a city on a hill and you can't hide that light. And then he says, let your light shine before others so that they will see your good works and then they will give glory to God for it. So when we live a life of obedience, when we shine in the darkness of this world, God uses that. He uses that in lots of ways in this lost world for people to see there's something different about them. Uh, and that opens the door for communication with, yeah, here's what it is. It's Jesus. That's what's different. Uh, and so living a life of obedience is counter cultural we shine in the darkness the wording there is like a crooked and perverted generation uh, and this is not to like make us feel better about ourselves it's for us to say this is because of god the only reason i'm any different is because of what god is doing in me and so for us the challenge that we've got to realize is we've got to stop blending in with the culture and church, we're not good at that, honestly. We, we, we blend in often. We don't want people to think that we're weird. Uh, and so we look the same a lot of times. We're tempted to. Uh, we're tempted to put our hope in things that the world puts their hope in. And we are not supposed to live like that. We're supposed to live to where when the lost world looks at us, they recognize there's something different about them. They aren't putting their hope in the things that I'm talking about. They aren't putting their hope in money. They're not putting their hope in a political candidate. They're not putting their hope in anything else other than this guy Jesus that they keep talking about. So, let's stop blending in with the rest of the world in how we act and what we put our hope in. Stop adopting the practices of the world and start living countercultural. So that we can be used as a light in the darkness to point people to Jesus, who is the perfect light of the world. The next point we see is the life of obedience clings to the gospel. The life of obedience clings to the gospel. Let's look at the beginning of verse 16. By holding firm to the word of life. So he says, you're going to stand out in this darkness of this world. And we do that by holding firm to the word of life or clinging to the gospel. The word of life is meaning the good news about Jesus. So how do we stand out? Instead of clinging to anything else, we cling to the gospel. We hold firm to that as being, this is my only hope, is what Jesus Christ has done for me. And dying for my sins and then being buried and coming back to life. That's the only hope that I have. And so we cling to that for ourselves and we hold it out for others and say, this is the only hope that you have either. And if you would just believe, you can have true hope, true assurance of what God has done for you. We have to cling to the good news of the gospel. And so this week, every day, let's ask God, produce in me this desire to hold on to this and nothing else. 
right? As we, especially as we are called to pursue a life of obedience, one of the temptations that we can fall into is putting hope in our own performance. Like, man, I'm killing it this week. I've really got this sanctification thing down. I am doing everything that I'm supposed to do. And we start to feel very puffed up and proud of ourselves. Our hope isn't in our performance. And it's not in anything of this world. It's in Jesus. So this week, cling to the good news of the gospel. And then hold it out to others and say, this can be your hope too. If you would just believe, this can be your hope. And then the last thing from this section A life of obedience produces a life of rejoicing. A life of obedience produces a life of rejoicing. The second half of verse 16 on through 18. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I'm poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad And rejoice with you all, with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul says, if you would start to pursue a life of obedience, uh, where God is changing you for his glory, and God's bringing about the purposes and the plans that he has for your life, and you're submitting to that, then when the day Jesus comes back, I will be able to brag. I will be able to boast. Now, he's not saying boast in himself. Like, man, I did a good job with that church. He's just saying, I'll be able to... The the word there for boasting is talking about boasting in God. If you will pursue a life of obedience, then when Jesus comes back, I'll be able to say, God, look at what you did with these people. Look at the way that you changed them. Look how they look like Jesus Christ and they shine in the darkness of this world. He'll be able to brag on God and boast in God. And then he goes on to say, even if I'm not standing anymore, like even if he dies, and so he uses this language of a drink offering being poured out at a sacrifice, and he's pointing to even if I die which is the reality for Paul, right? He recognizes he's in prison, on, he's going to face trial, and he could be executed. And so he's saying, look, even if I lose my life for these believers, then he says, I will be glad and I will rejoice with you for what God is doing in you. I will be glad for the ways that God is producing in you holiness that shines in the darkness. And then he says, and you need to be glad also. Rejoice with me. Even if I die, rejoice. Because God is being faithful to us and God is working in us. He hasn't given up on us. And so the life of obedience produces a life of rejoicing, boasting in God, bragging on God of look at what God has done with us. And so for us this week, let's as we are committing again to a life of obedience, let's rejoice in God when we see that produced in our lives. Not puff our chest up uh, and think, man, I'm doing a good job, but say, God, thank you for changing me. Thank you for giving me a desire to want to look more like Jesus today than I did yesterday. 
and the next day and the next day. And when we see it in our church, when we see our brothers and sisters in Christ who are, we're all just stumbling forward in this sanctification, trying to look more and more like Jesus, and when we see obedience in our brothers and sisters in Christ, let's rejoice in that. Let's praise God for that and say, thank you, God, that you're, you're changing us to look different than this world because of Jesus. As we pursue obedience, we can live a life of rejoicing for God working in us. So the question then is, well, why would we live this way, right? Why pursue a life of obedience when really my heart wants to do other things? Uh, Why would I pursue a life where I put away grumbling, complaining, and arguing when naturally that's what I want to do? Why would we pursue a life where we live differently than the rest of the world and the rest of the world looks at us and thinks, man, they're just weird. Some of the stuff they say, some of the stuff they do, they're just different. Why would we want to live like that? And why would we want to live a life of rejoicing when we may even lose our lives? Paul is saying, I want to rejoice even if I die for Jesus. Why would we do that? And the answer is because of Jesus. The reason that we would pursue a life like this is because of Jesus. Remember the passage from last week. Who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself and assumed the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We do it for Jesus. That's why we are called to a life of obedience. And we do it because we have the promise. God's working in me. And God's not through with me. And it's hard. And my heart is drawn away. But I can commit again to a life of obedience because God is at work in me. Because of Jesus, we can. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess today that our hearts are drawn to disobedience in in many ways. We, We are drawn to rebel. And we thank you that we have the promise that you're at work in us, that you're changing us through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that you will complete that work. And so we ask for your help now. Holy Spirit, we ask that you work now to give us a desire for obedience, to give us a desire to follow Jesus and to look more like Jesus in this world and that we would stand out in the darkness of this world and that you would use us for your glory, God, that we would be able to point people to Jesus Christ our only hope. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.